Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO John Walda, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to have chief business officers reflect on their careers and offer personal examples of how they have navigated difficult situations and learn from their experiences as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Megan Strand, your host today, and I am so excited to be joined by Amir Raname Azar, Vice President for Finance and Chief Financial Officer for Carnegie Mellon. Welcome, Amir. Hello, Megan. Thank you so much for having me on the program. You have a really interesting story about how you came to the role of a chief business officer. I wonder if you, you would start us off today by sharing that story. Sure. Um, well, you know, my role in higher education is a role that I am very passionate about, and it's in many ways intensely personal to me. So um, um, I came to the U.S. as, as a teenager and... Um, uh, I worked uh, my way through high school and college, and I, in many ways, lived the um, quintessential immigrant life uh, early on. And so for me, education was the outlet through which I grew personally and professionally and learned about um, really uh, many aspects of what it's, life, uh, what, what it's like to live in the U.S. And so the education is um, really been the key for me to be able to accomplish all I've been able to accomplish in life. And so um, with respect to my current role uh, along the way, um, I've tried and aspired to create um, uh, the framework uh, along the way in, in various higher education settings to make sure that the same education that was available to me and that has uh, inspired me and helped me to be the person I am today is available to future generations. And so the role that I take as a CBO is one that I, uh, again, take very personally. And um, my aspiration in everything that I do every day is to ensure that that education remains accessible and affordable to uh, generations of uh, folks that are following in my path or uh, that are just generally interested in education and so that they can um, put that education to become you know productive members of society. So for me, education has been um, so key to my growth, again, professionally and pers- personally, in that in my role, um, I try to do everything I can to make that education accessible and affordable. Now, you started, you got a, an MBA yourself personally, correct? And then what was your first role after graduating? As I worked through high school and early on in college, I sort of felt very comfortable in that educational environment. It was very nurturing to interactions with faculty and other students. Uh, just was really uh, a way to give me a sense of um comfort and protection and support. And so as I actually was able to pursue the discipline that was of my interest, um, which was business administration, I felt more and more um, uh, a connection to the field. And so I pursued my master's in business administration. And that was um, 
really where I found uh, even a heightened level of connection to the discipline. And, um, and as I completed that degree, um, I wanted to, at that point, that's sort of the pivotal moment where I knew that the future for me was in higher education. And higher education, not only as an academic uh, pursuit, but also as an enterprise. And the, the sort of bringing the, the two together was a key um, moment in my personal and pro professional life. Um, and that's where I sort of really knew that um, higher education was the field for me. Higher education management and finance in particular was, uh, was the field for me to pursue. And where did you start out then? What was your first career move, I guess, in higher education? I um, began at the University of Pennsylvania and I was a business administrator to five faculty. And so it was a really great opportunity for me to be working directly with faculty who were conducting research and to, it was really an opportunity to really see how academy works and how uh, what are the pressures on researchers and what are sort of sort of some of the administrative work that they have to do in addition to carrying on carrying on the important uh, research work that occurs in the laboratory and in, in, and in the classroom and so I supported them um, directly and I was more attuned to um, some of the frankly um, frustrations that they had to deal with if you will in the course of doing the very important work in the laboratory and as I did that work um, I wanted to, you know, expand um, my interactions and, and um, I moved in the process and I began my career in Southern California where I worked that, there with 40 faculty uh, in the School of Business. And there I was exposed to different aspects of the role, more involved in the budget and planning sec uh, aspects of the role and uh, worked more directly with a, with, um, a department chair and, and the dean's office and others across the campus. And as I took on these roles uh, and broadened them more and more, I felt honestly more and more in love with the understanding and learning more about the academy and how it operates um, uh, in the macro as well as the micro. When you actually got into those roles, I'm sure lots of it was fantastic and, re and rewarding and, and challenging, but were there any things that surprised you that you maybe weren't quite prepared for that you needed to beef up a skill set or learn a lot about that y you realized early on? Well, sure. I think, you know, early on, um, I was recognized for getting things done. And, uh, you know, I had a s certain set of skills and I was ambitious and I was persistent and I was given tasks and I uh, completed them. But along the way, as I grew in my career, I recognized that um, that as as the span of control or inf um, as the span of responsibilities grow, then you need to rely more and more on the teams that you work with. And so building teams and, um, uh, and making progress through influence uh, became clear to me as a fundamental dimension of uh, success for anyone in leadership or management. Um, so that was sort of an aha moment, if you will, in many ways. It's just, just know-how is not enough. You need to be able to put teams together. You need to be able to create unified direction. You need to be able to execute and measure uh, progress and adjust as you go. So the, the science um, was sort of at, at, at a point in time in my career uh, was augmented by the art of kind of um, – 
uh, leadership, if you will. And, you know, a key dimension of that was also um, developing uh, the skill to artfully listen, uh, to 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 step away from sort of the binary yes or no, right or wrong, to more of the gray and understanding perspectives and listening carefully to perspectives, uh, soliciting input, um, and deliberating, and ultimately um, making decisions, which was sort of different. And, and, and I can't tell you exactly a moment in time in my career, but along the way, I've sort of learned that, um, that you know, again, that artful listening, building teams, um, managing or making progress through influence is are fundamental dimensions of um, leadership. What do you look for when you're looking to form a team? And I realize that sometimes you inherit teams and that might not always be the case. But if, if you have the luxury of choosing team members or moving somebody along the ranks, what do you look for in, in, in qualities of, of individuals? Well, you know, th- these are folks you um, ordinarily spend a lot of time with. So obviously, you know, there, the, there's experience. I would look for them, uh, f- you know, to bring uh, forward the, the ex- experience requisite to be effective in their role. I also look for them to share with me their wisdom uh, and to uh, really not necessarily um, go with everything I say, if you will, but but that that they can push back at the right times on the right topics and give me their perspectives and give me their counsel. Um, But really, above all, I I think of them in many ways um, as also friends in in providing um, their assistance to me to, you know, to to carry out a high quality set of services and and um, and in helping me perform my job in serving the institution. So those are those are sort of the the basic items. But in, in other ways, I also look uh, to them to have some level of um, willingness to be outside of their comfort zone and to take risks and to um, be ambitious and and uh, and also um, uh, display courage when courage is needed. Because you know the higher education landscape is such that business as usual is you know, no longer the norm and, and that we need to really think about two dimensions of our job, which is one is to keep the trains running, uh, which we, you know, all the, all the standard things you look for in a team need to be there. You know, again, as I said, the experience, the education, the willingness to, um, uh, to put in the hours and get job done. But the, the other dimension is also what I expect of my, uh, direct reports is to display leadership. And it's not only doing things right, but also doing the right things. And that takes some level of ambition, initiative, uh, motivation, uh, ability to be a self-starter, bringing ideas forth, and really not being afraid of failing. Um, Because that is what the environment requires, uh, and that we need to be finding ways to run the business of the university more effectively, and efficiently, and in that context, we need to be relentless. So, you know, it's it's those. It, it, so, so if we stay behind, or if we're worried about the consequences of advancing an initiative, which we are, um, we have the conviction to know it's going to make the university run better or more effectively, or it's going to enhance our processes. Then I think we have failed. So I look for that level of 
I guess you can call it entrepreneurship. Uh, you could call it maybe bravado or, or ambition into, in my direct reports to get out of their comfort zone, to bring ideas forward uh, and to advance agenda items in a way that um, meaningfully enhances our operations. You mentioned that this role and, and the environment isn't business as usual anymore. Can you talk a little bit about how you feel the role of a CBO has fundamentally changed over the years? Sure. My sense is, you know, if you look back 20, 30, maybe uh, uh, 40 or longer years ago, you'd find that the business office was sort of um, viewed as the keeper of the books. Um, f- folks went there to kind of, um, you know, get information and we kept the books clean and we went through audits and, uh, we did sort of, um, um, some, um, uh, basic, if you will, business, um, functions of, on behalf of the university. But as you look at the higher education landscape today, there's really a competitive enterprise uh, where, where we need to be really mission focused, but also in many ways business smart. The role of the business officer has evolved to be one that is of counsel to the president, but also to other vice presidents and really deans and other members of the university on matters that have business consequences. So when I look at my role, I don't necessarily look at it as a person that that is there to say yes or no, if you will, in particular with uh, in conversations with the president and provost, but as one that can articulate and demonstrate the the pros and cons and the consequences of uh, frankly major and really all business decisions. So when we look at this competitive enterprise, when uh, I think you know many of my colleagues would agree that. From a revenue standpoint, in many ways, we're seeing modest or uh, flat or modest growth on the revenue side. But on the expense side, um, costs are increasing, and particularly in the more uh, selective universities or ones that pride themselves in, you know, providing world-class facilities uh, or individualized learning or having faculty um, uh, on staff, if you will, to that are that are very accomplished. Well, all those dimensions cost money, and add to that technology and investment in infrastructure. You know, costs are escalating at a faster rate than revenues are. And so, what we need to do as business officers is to ensure that we put every resource, whether it's dollars or square feet or people, frankly, um, to highest and best use. And that requires a different disposition of the business office uh, than maybe was the case 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And um, so, and to be at the table, we would need to bring value. We need to bring expertise. We need to bring know-how. We need to bring data. Uh, We need to be able to take a situation, analyze it, um, demonstrate the challenges associated with it, and and maybe the uh, and also the benefits, and then maybe make some recommendations. So that's a decidedly different business office than might have been the case decades ago. What are you doing in your current role that you never imagined you'd be doing 10 years well, ago, five years a, ago? That's a great question. <laughs> um, I think, uh, you know, uh, traveling to Qatar, um, certainly. I mean, the, you know, having international campuses, as is the case for Carnegie Mellon University, uh, was never really on my radar. And those are campuses and operations that have their own unique characteristics that are 
very special. And uh, for us here at this university are a fabric of our um, culture and DNA and character and sense of entrepreneurial spirit. And so those are items that I didn't have necessarily a direct um, set of experiences or interactions with. So for me, I never thought I would have to think about not only my campus culture, but a campus culture in another country with its own culture and its own unique requirements to conduct business and in its unique uh, approach to teaching and learning or, and its unique appreciation for uh, our university half a world away. And so those are things that I never thought of. Um, and there's, you know, uh, uh, items that I think you would expect also to be uh, new uh, if you were to take on a, a role like this, which is, you know, what is it, how is it different to do business there? What are, what are the different re- legal or regulatory requirements? What sort of things do you need to think about if you're doing um, audits there or you're, you're managing cash there or exchange rates? I'm, I'm not just talking about those things, which um, honestly I never had exposure to, but it's, it's sort of the grander picture of what is it, you know, I never thought I would be dealing with another campus in another country and and providing services. And, you know, I just operationally, it was never something I had thought of that I'm doing uh, doing now that's very special and unique. What a great experience, though. <laughs> yes, absolutely. What would you say, Amir, as you're chatting amongst yourselves with colleagues that are also CBOs, what would you say you think the biggest challenges that all CBOs are facing today? I think we've touched on it a little bit. I mean, you know, um, as CBOs, our role in many ways is to to bring value to the conversation and to put resources to highest and best use. So for institutions that are not necessarily uh, poised for that level of engagement, I think the CBOs... Um, would be challenged to kind of manage that change process and to to become an integrated uh, part of the, the leadership and management of the institutions, particularly depending on the size and the complexity of the university. So the more complex and larger the institution, the more difficult it is uh, because Generally, universities are uh, at that at that scale are more decentralized. So it, there is more of a challenge in in interacting and connecting to the various um, tentacles of the institution. But it's all around resources. For every dollar that we have, there are at least ten, um, oftentimes many more valid and legitimate uses. Um, and so prioritizing those uses where we put those dollars to highest and best use is a difficult task. And it's not one that um, necessarily wins a favor, but um, because at some point a decision needs to be made and y- some folks will be disappointed. But um, it's, it's that interaction. It's that sort of putting the resources of the university in a way that um, – garners the best results, both academically and and then um, secondarily as a, as a financial perspective. With so much to, to sort of keep apprised of, whether it's international issues or things happening locally or within the field, are there any things that you do on a daily or weekly basis? Are there things that you read? Are there sources of information you turn to to kind of 
give you a, a consolidated view of things you need to stay updated on? Well, I th- yes, of course. I mean, you know, uh, for one thing, Nakuba, I think, is a great organization through your various communications. Um, uh, we have access to um, easy to follow and read information at our fingertips that kind of get us to make the right decisions or at least be informed um, about the, the decisions that are before us at, at at the university, but there's also, um, you know, uh, the Chronicle of Higher Education, uh, the Wall Street Journal. There, there are um, other organizations like the Education Advisory Board that do great research. And so there's, there are lots of good resources um, that uh, are available to all CBOs, and those are the ones that I particularly follow in order to get information and, and um, share information with my colleagues. Anything else you'd like to share today, Amir, that I have not asked you? I'm assuming you'd have a wide variety of uh, folks that be listening to this podcast. And depending on where they are in their career and what their aspirations are, I think paying attention to the cultural components of an institution, um, the politics at work, particularly as folks ascend the career path, um, would serve them well uh, by virtue of kind of connecting, understanding, and listening, again, to constituencies and never really underestimating the power of politics. Uh, because as we talked about earlier in the podcast, you know, g- getting things done, uh, which is sort of where people begin their careers uh, with, is it becomes a necessary but not a sufficient condition as people progress in their career. So I would urge people to really think about uh, the cultural dimensions of, of the university and the politics and sort of, um, you know, uh, uh, spending time on leadership um, uh, sort of uh, books and things like that to, to prepare for the role of a CBO because some of it is on the job training, but some of it is also paying particular attention uh, to these dimensions that are not necessarily apparent early on in a career. Are there any red flags you would say to watch out for? Yes, absolutely. That, that is, in fact, the, 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 the yes, indeed. And that is to be sensitive to those dimensions that I just described, particularly politics, um, and carefully manage depending on the initiative throughout the organization, even though a CBO may have a conviction that a certain path is the right path or is the right thing to do for the university, sort of to, to one extreme, the bulldozing approach of just running with it isn't necessarily going to, um, to uh, garner success. And so, in, in, in other words, understanding the key players, listening to their perspective, interacting with them, partnering with them, paying attention to the process, uh, managing that change carefully. I mean, these are sort of buzzwords that I'm throwing out, but they have real practical implications as um, CBOs uh, or, you know, folks with aspirations to become CBOs need to pay attention to because they're key to fundamental success. And, um, you know, interacting again, partnering, communicating, um, those need to be done. Those are necessary ingredients. And they don't necessarily come early on in the career as um, as a nicely, neatly packaged training material. It's sort of things that you'd learn along the way. And so I would say 
if if we don't pay attention to that, then our our agenda and our and our our initiatives aren't going to succeed. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Amir, for your time today and for sharing just a little bit of your career with us. It has been a pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. You can find out more about Amir and today's episode by visiting the distance learning section of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks in iTunes so you will get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Amir and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. CBO Speaks.